I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me. Yes, me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. It's him, everyone. Ian Morris. It is. Ian Morris. Uh, and, but it's brought to you by you. Uh, thank you to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com slash UK tech. This is your longer extended cut uh, of this week's show if you're one of our patrons. But if you would like to get them because you're not already, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Find out how you can support us uh, from as little as one US dollar per episode. No commitment, of course. Um, we didn't actually get any new patrons this week. I think that's the first week in quite a long time that we haven't. Yeah, we're pretty relaxed about it, though, aren't we? We are, because we, we love the ones we do have. Um, and thank you to, uh, I picked out a few names, Ricky Wakefield, Guy West McDonald, Richard Taylor, Stephen Huxtable, uh, many others are keeping us afloat and, and very motivated. Uh, and also, I checked the iTunes today. There are 163 people in the UK alone who've given us five stars in iTunes. So you guys all rock super hard listening on the free feed and recommending us to friends. Um, I haven't checked that thing for ages. In fact, I haven't checked it since they updated iTunes and made it actually sort of bearable to check it. Yes. Well, uh, some good reviews over there. So thank you, everyone, for supporting us. Um, we were going to talk a bit about the um, the new Google Pixel this week, but to be honest, I haven't had enough chance to do enough with it to do a review justice. So uh, we're probably going to do that next week. So keep any questions coming in if you have them for the, the new Pixel 2 uh, models. And instead, Ian, instead, we're going to talk about... North Korea. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's a very similar thing. Yes, very similar. Well, they do have mobile phones in North Korea. Uh, In fact, here's a little fact for you. North Korea has 100% 3G penetration of their mobile networks. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's because they only have a 3G network and no one's allowed to use it except uh, the upper diplomats. But hey-ho. Anyway, the reason we talk about North Korea um, is because the scale of damage uh, that the global WannaCry ransomware attack earlier this year in May had on the NHS has been publicised in a report from the UK government's watchdog. And it highlighted the lack of preparedness that the organisation had, that's the NHS, to protect itself and the public from such an attack. And in addition to that, the UK security minister has said North Korea was behind the attack. That's the North Korean link. Um, Now, I actually wrote this story um, for Bloomberg today. So I'm saying this according to Bloomberg. I actually mean according to me because I wrote it. (laughs) Um, But the National Audit Office which keeps um, a lot of government departments uh, accountable and keeps an eye on their budgets and things. Uh, It criticised the Department of Health for being too slow to improve critical IT systems. Uh, And this study was published on Friday. It said reports from the National Data Guardian and Care Quality Commission published in July 2016, so almost a year before WannaCry struck, warned the government that cyber attacks uh, attacks could jeopardise patient security. But the healthcare department had not made enough improvements. They had started making improvements but not enough by the time WannaCry hit. Um, The head of the NAO uh, actually said it was a relatively unsophisticated attack and could have been prevented by the NHS following basic IT security best practice. Now my interpretation there is don't run Windows XP and that'll be a good start. Now 
Although it wasn't, don't I remember hearing at the time that actually Windows XP was was so backwards that actually if you ha- if you were running it, you wouldn't have had a problem with WannaCry. It was actually later versions of Windows that were the problem, or something like that. I I only vaguely remember the story, but but of course, yes, there, mean- there is a there is an issue in that people are not running patched versions of operating systems. It's it's true. I mean, Windows Seven was actually the the most targeted operating system. That was the big yeah. one. Um, XP wasn't as uh, wasn't as much as um, as Windows Seven by a you know by a large margin. The problem is that XP causes so many other problems aside from WannaCry <laughs> that it, it you know it had to happen at some point. If not this There's one, no other ones. For using XP, I mean, it, it's ancient. It's just ancient. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that was interesting, and to be honest, this is a slightly more interesting thing for us to talk about here, um, is that the, I, I mean, I read this entire report um, from the NAO. It's its its actually a lot more interesting for a governmental report than you would maybe think it would be. Uh, but there was one other fact that really stood out to me, which is the fact that NHS staff ended up having to use WhatsApp to communicate with, e- with each other while their network's um, were either locked down by IT staff to prevent infection or because they were compromised by WannaCry. And they did this um, because of what the NAO concluded was a lack of clear guidelines uh, for responding to a major cyber attack. So basically they had no idea. This was all kicking off. They didn't know what to do. They, you know, Some of them called local police, other than picked up oh. the phone, other than were WhatsApping each other. Um, but I looked into the NHS's social media policies and the use of WhatsApp in particular, it's named, uh, was prohibited by NHS guidance in 2015 and said the service, quote, should never be used for the sending of information in the professional healthcare environment. And I thought that's that's really interesting that this thing that was explicitly prohibited by the NHS ended up being mm. one of the things that allowed it to continue to function, at least according to yeah. the NAO's report. And then um, the organization appeared to have softened its stance as soon as the, uh, May 25th this year, which was about just over a week or so after WannaCry had broken out, uh, when an NHS digital guide to the use of social media said that services like WhatsApp should only be u- uh, should never be used for official communications, quote, unless it is part of your responsibilities. Now, presumably here, responsibility include people who need to communicate during a global ransomware attack so it's an interesting you know i I say tidbit it's it's actually more than a tidbit in a way because it 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 actually shows another very useful side of a service like whatsapp because the nhs could argue well it's end-to-end encrypted it's completely secure and as long as amber rudd doesn't get her way and create backdoors Uh to the encryption then it will remain secure enough for for uh, you know people like the nhs to use it as a fallback um so that that was this week ian what uh, what do you what did you make of this when you first read it well uh my here's, here's my opinion on this right i mean it's quite one thing to blame north korea um but in fact i don't think that the blame can lie anywhere else except here i don't whilst i sort of accept the fact that you know hacking is obviously illegal um when it happens internationally like this it's you know, almost certainly very serious. Uh, but at the same time, I, I feel like it's our job to make sure our systems are secure enough and kept up to date enough to largely avoid a problem. Now, I suspect that the speed at which the NHS got back online was indicative of the fact that actually most of the important stuff runs um, away from the um, the the, the 
sort of the computers that do the day-to-day stuff in the uh, doctor's surgeries and hospitals. And what I mean by that is I'm assuming that there's a lot of um, virtualization going on so that the, you know, the, the places where your patient information is stored are not accessible by the people who are looking at that information it's just a a visual display you're right Uh, and And i should say that the nhs um one of the spokespeople that i spoke to for my story did point out that no data no patient information or anything at all was compromised you know and and the nao included that in its um in its report as well and that's good because it because it and that's the right way of doing it as well because um that means that you you know you you're basically giving people dumb computers um and they can be less powerful they can uh you know it doesn't matter so much it also means that if, if any of them get a virus like this you can just you can just you know wipe the thing and start again, and and you're and it, you could be back up and running in a few hours' time. Um, so f- for me, I don't think the NHS handled that side of it particularly badly. I think that p- things need to be secured. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I don't think you can, even if it is the North Koreans, I, it doesn't. I don't really care. I think we should be m- taking this much more seriously. It's classic underspending on the things that need to be spent money to be spent on and i don't want the nhs to be suffering financially uh in order to provide this i want the government to be taking a much more proactive approach to computers as a whole and in that i include things like the police uh you know obviously hospitals anything even government itself there should be people who are you know across all this stuff for the whole of the public service and they should be able to sort of move things along quickly and if you've got that kind of purchasing power if you're talking about hundreds of thousands of machines then i'm sure you can get a you know better pricing you can develop strategies that would enable you to you know make sure that your core computers that you're giving to people are safe and secure um, and then obviously there will be differences between what the NHS does with its computer systems and what the police does uh, or do. But at the same time, there's a lot of commonality there. And I just I just feel like it's so common to neglect basic IT security, especially in government. Um, and I just think that's completely unacceptable and they need to take responsibility for it and sort it out. Uh, and as for WhatsApp, I mean, really, it is. I, I Personally, I can see why they don't allow the discussion of patient stuff on it that makes sense to me i think that's not about security so much as it is about appropriateness but in an emergency you know that is the best solution it's better than you know a lot of other you know applications for communicating for example i wouldn't want them doing it on email um and i wouldn't want them doing it on text messages really so it makes sense you know whatsapp is encrypted it is secure um for the most part. I do remember one of our, I think it was one of our, might be one of our podcast listeners emailed me actually when WannaCry was was kicking off. And because I, I was trying to find somebody who was an IT technician at the NHS ah, right. because I was, I was covering the story for Bloomberg. But I remember them saying that part of the problem is that budget exists for this sort of thing to be prevented in in as much as upgrading systems it's just that a lot of the time the people responsible for allocating that budget essentially asking you know is everything working yes okay well you don't need any money then and it sort of it, it goes on other things and it's 
it's sort of waiting for some disaster to happen to say oh right okay yeah okay here here's some money and and money has been given and improvements apparently are are being made just not enough and and certainly not fast enough to to stop wanna cry and and not confined to the nhs i mean we know we know police forces for example a lot of them are still based on windows xp you would expect them to be prioritizing security a little bit more than than they are doing again though i i get the impression it's the same thing it's I think that people, I think that they're just using dumb terminals and that it doesn't actually matter a huge amount. There's no information stored on those computers. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing because obviously you could easily install like, um, you know, a, a, a VNC kind of client that would allow people to see what was on the screen. Um, but at the same time, I, I can sort of, I can see how we end up in this position. Um, but there isn't a, an excuse for it. I just think I can sort of see why it ends up being that way. Well, according to The Guardian and others this week, Apple has hired the television executive Jay Hunt. Uh, now, she was behind uh, Channel 4's poaching of the Great British Bake Off from the BBC. Um, <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah, care, I ha- honestly. I don't watch it. Well, uh, Jay Hunt cared uh, enough to <laughs> snag it for, I think it was about like 70 million quid, 75 million, I think, um, which is a lot more than the BBC was prepared to pay. But The Guardian... Uh, said that the poaching of Hunt by Apple is an ambitious move uh, to take on broadcasters and obviously digital rivals Netflix and Amazon. Now, Hunt, just to delve a little bit into the media side of this, um, she has held roles at basically all the big broadcasters in, uh, at least terrestrial broadcasters in the UK. She's been at the BBC, she's been at Channel 4, obviously, and she's been at Channel 5. Um, She's commissioned, I think, things like Sherlock and Luther and Gogglebox, according to the guardian at least and she was also behind some of those deals that brought um like the handmaid's tale which is the hulu exclusive um or it was hulu wasn't it handmaid's tale um to the uk so she's she's very very influential both locally and internationally um and uh, she resigned from channel 4 uh, i think she was the chief creative officer um just before the new ceo was named so she was she was on the market and now she's going to be the creative chief at apple's european video operations now this makes me wonder whether this is good for us and and i believe it is just to preempt my own uh my own explanation of of why <laughs> but 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 a part of why i think this is good for us is because so far what Apple has been doing in terms of original video and content, to me, has felt very, very US-centric. In fact, everything Apple does with TV has always been very US-centric, and for good reason. But it's it's always meant that Apple's Apple's place in the TV market has always felt like something we can sort of gloss over and ignore because we know it's you know it's not for us. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's pointless. It's it's like you know when you hear companies talking about Verizon and Comcast and what they're doing, like. It's interesting, but it's not relevant to us. Yeah, I believe that this appointment is the first step in making Apple very relevant in terms of original content for the UK market. I don't necessarily think we're going to see the likes of Bake Off leaving Channel 4 and moving to Apple. Um, no. But it does make me wonder whether we'll see more big US shows come to Apple instead of Netflix or Amazon. You know, mm. in the same way the new Star Trek series is a CBS uh, property in the US but outside the US everywhere else it's marketed as a Netflix original and yeah. it is here in the UK so 
that feels like the kind of thing she she could do and has a track record of doing um the question is do we want you know is apple the right place for some of this this well it's not the wrong place it's just that i don't want to have to have another blinking subscription to something like i i would be I'd be quite happy if Apple set up, you know, the the TV equivalent of Apple Music and did a Netflix kind of thing, got loads of great TV and films. Um, I suspect they wouldn't do that because I suspect that they, they, they would rather have the money from people buying series. So I suspect that this won't be a a, a, a subscription based thing. If they if they really go for it, I suspect it will be a, you know, you buy the stuff you're interested in kind of proposition. Um, but. I, and yeah, I suppose I, I would be happy with that. I I have the equipment now. I've never had Apple TV to Apple TV before, um, and I do now have it. And it's already made me think about buying stuff on Apple rather than uh, Google or Amazon or uh, you know wherever else. Uh, so you know, because at least with Apple, you know you you know you know it's pretty safe, don't you? Whereas other services have been shut down. Um, and I tend to avoid all those sort of smaller things now and just stick to the, the big guys because I feel at least sort of relatively confident that they won't be going to the wall anytime soon. Um, but That's Apple an interesting did, so... point. That It's an interesting point you make there about, about purchasing versus subscription because yeah. historically, yes, the TV content from Apple, uh, which, which is vast, um, has all been pay to own, you know, pay to download. Yeah. And they've made a big deal of it. And it's not something that the other players do to the same extent amazon uh, and, and google do um certainly certainly come close um but but their their original content so their planet of the apps and the carpool karaoke well, i, I thing hear and, planet of the apps was awful but i haven't seen it i watched i watched about 10 minutes of one and i i wasn't i wasn't impressed and carpool karaoke is what it is so it, it, it's it it's is fine. what it is and um and then there's a new documentary about pink uh, her new album that's streaming on Apple Music. Ah. So, so those things that are originals, they have folded into subscription, uh, and it's been part of a subscription package. You know, so you could see Apple expanding an Apple Music subscription to being something like, you know, Apple Digital and encompassing both Apple Music and Apple TV content originals and stuff, rather than being paid to download. That said. Apple's strongest play in this field will always be if it can ever make its existing content library uh, streamable in the same way it's basically done with iTunes and Apple Music. Because that is the thing that... I mean, if you imagine if you imagine the iTunes TV and movie store being entirely streamable for 25 quid a month or something. Yeah. You think about the amount of money people pay Sky Movies for subscriptions and BT. That is a very very compelling yeah service, and I, I, I mean if even if it was a more premium product if it was more expensive i could see myself doing that i would pay i would happily say right now i would if it was like the entire library exactly as it is now but streamable i could see myself paying you know up to 50 quid a month for something like that wow because, really i think yeah, you're because, in the minority there uh, well, I might be. It's just that I think it's one of those things where, all right, maybe 50 is a bit of a push, certainly 30. Because you you think about all the American TV shows that, that we would enjoy that we don't get here. You know, Modern Family and yeah. Family Guys, South Park, well, all this sort of stuff. Modern Family's on Sky, so. 
I know, but I don't have any of those things. That's my oh, point. Right, I see. Yeah. So, so thing is an, an we have we have fiber optic broadband, and that's it. We don't have a TV box. We don't have a phone. We don't have a sky dish. We have nothing. We just it's it's on demand, and if it's not on on demand, then we just don't watch it, or we buy it on iTunes or something. So, I think it would open up a huge market, and and maybe that's something listeners could tell us about whether they'd be interested in that, be it from iTunes or Google or Amazon. You know that kind of here's our entire library but it's expensive and every month but it's all you want or you can eat rather maybe that'd become yeah I, I i'd have to have a really serious think about how much money i would be prepared to pay for something like that but i i, I could i like the idea but again it, we've no indication that that's sort of on the cards do we really i mean it, it no there's always a lot of t- talk about apple's video strategy and apple's definitely spending a lot of money on something but it's not entirely clear at the moment what it is exactly. Um, because, yes, and the TV and big, film industry don't big, want to make the same mistake the music industry made, no. which is is to try and control the right so much that it forces people to piracy, meaning they yeah. have to come back with streaming almost as a gambit to get them to pay anything ever again anyway, whereas TVs and movies haven't quite suffered to the same extent as music arguably has and so there's less incentive maybe for them to concede that kind of yeah, distribution it, it's to quite Apple. funny isn't it i do i do kind of i do appreciate from a musician's point of view that actually music did really come out quite badly um and and it, and it remains sort of the thing that um you know people don't appreciate that it it, it has had a real it's caused a lot of problems for musicians um, and Hollywood has largely continued unabated, even though piracy is, you know, a problem. Um, and it's, it's almost difficult to see why that is. I suppose it's because a lot of people sort of pirated music because they wanted to hear music and they would have bought the CD. A lot of people tend to watch films and TV shows, but probably wouldn't be paying customers if they didn't. So, for example, if you download a copy of, I don't know, Kingsman or something like that, it, it, it might be because you were never going to watch it any other way. So, actually, you're not a lost customer. But with music, if you're listening to a, if you're listening to a CD more than once, you are a lost customer. I mean, you, arguably, even if you listen to it once, you're a lost customer. Um, I, I, do you see the distinction? I, have I made I that clear? Do you agree with what I'm saying? I do agree. That I mean, the the, the part of the the content industry has always tended to lean on the argument that a, a download is a lost, is a lost sale. sale yeah that it's a one-to-one ratio yeah whereas of course it, it, it isn't some are but also some will become future sales yeah. so a p- piracy will be translated into custom yeah i think about some of the flicks that i watched you know of doubt from downloads years ago and i'll have spent money on a lot of them since or i would have spent money on um sequels and stuff like that so you know and and, and the, the same is true of music to some extent but of course cheap music is a lot cheaper like as a rule isn't it um yeah. going to the cinema is a phenomenally expensive uh process and often deeply unpleasant and often deeply and sticky unpleasant. like it's it's even out here it's 15 quid for an adult um that's a lot of money yeah and you've got you've got a wife and two kids and so exactly and going and, to the cinema it's that's that's you know 50 yeah. 60 quid well for, fortunately the age my kids are at um we can just do family screenings which are quieter um in terms of volume and are and you don't have to worry about them acting up uh, because obviously that's a huge problem you can't take well, you can't, kids you, to a normal you, screening 
can't you just sort of put them closer to the TV or hold an iPad in their well, face? And to be it's honest, the same I, impression I, I, of cinema. I might take them tomorrow, actually. Um, but I, it is, it is. I liked, I like the idea because I'm a movie guy. Like I love films, and I and I love the process of making films. I like the idea of getting them into the idea of the the, the cinema as an event, and you know the, the experience that that can offer. Uh, and I agree with you, obviously. Going to the cinema ha- has been a bit of a pain. Um, I'm, you know, I guess I'm kind of lucky. I have attended some sort of more pleasant screenings, like the the ones that Dolby do in their office in London. Uh, you know, if you're going to see a film, that's the way to do it. It's a small cinema, but it's the most beautiful screen and audio system you'll ever experience. Yes, um, like the the um, the uh, Everyman cinemas, I, I really like. Yeah, and there's a lot of good criterion. cinemas out there. There are a lot of really good cinemas out there, and they and a lot of them take it a lot more seriously than multiplexes. Multiplexes, I guess, are very much like the idea of just you know watching a film at home almost it's just it you, you go and you have some popcorn and it's a it's a date night or whatever but yeah yeah i but that anyway none of this is particularly relevant um, although actually i could one of the things that i would i could see apple doing that would be brilliant is perhaps being that conduit which allows people to watch uh movies that are just in the cinema now at home for people like me who can't get out that often um, yes now that's that we been are crying dis- that's out been- that's been discussed like that. but definitely that has been discussed at with a very high premium attached to yeah it. sure and, I, I, you know, and if there's a, if there's two of you at home then it's not out of the question to say that you would pay maybe well to me to match the cinema price it would be 15 pounds each so so if you said to people uh you know 30 quid that would be reasonable you could sort of take it to the next level and say well you have a couple of friends over so 50 quid is reasonable i would I wouldn't probably pay 50 quid for myself, uh, especially as you wouldn't get to keep it, I would imagine. But the, no. but the idea of it, and Apple was probably one of the very few companies that has the the, the connections and the reach and, um, and the sort of impact to persuade Hollywood studios that that's a good idea. Um, so that could work. And But again, we just don't know any of it. This is the problem. It's just impossible it's to see what their strategy is long term. But, you know, um, you could say the same for Sony. I mean, Sony owns a gigantic film and TV production company. And yet we've not seen anything like that on the PlayStation, yeah. even in the US. And it's it's hilarious in a lot of ways just how badly Sony has managed to handle the fact that it is a major movie studio. Um, it's never really successfully leveraged that. Um, I, I guess because you can't be one studio, people will not pay for access to the movies of one studio. They, and I remember when I was at Cena, I, I I got signed up to a Sony thing where I would they would send me all of their new releases on Blu-ray, and I, I looked at the the list, you know, the things that came through the letterbox, and I was like, no. No. And and you go through the collection and actually there's a very small number of films from a studio that you're actually interested in watching. Um, yeah. I suppose so, I shouldn't be surprised with the whole Sony thing, though. I mean, Sony, if you remember, probably about 20 years ago, basically sued itself. <laughs> yeah. There was some music licensing thing where there was some some group Sony was a part of sued another company which Sony owned, which basically meant it was sort of suing itself i can't remember google it yeah it's, very it's long Sony, time ago so- i do remember something like that yeah i remember being quite quite a while ago anyway uh, let us know any thoughts you have on um on apple's hiring of um jay hunt from uh, from channel four or x of uh, channel four because i think there's a lot apple could do here 
and I think it would be very interesting to hear what people would want it to do um, rather than just muddying the waters and yet more um, sort of uh, for same the... content exactly yeah let us know podcast at natelangson.com Ian, we're going to talk briefly about uh, iPhone 10 pre-orders, which started this week. And I really don't want to talk about these for too long. Um, <laughs> but we have seen them uh, s- seemingly sell out of stock uh, around the world, uh, partially, possibly with the, the old Nintendo problem of just not making enough. Uh, certainly that's been reported on. Uh, and I wrote about this um for bloomberg this this week as well i mean within a few minutes it seemed this morning uh friday evening we're recording this um that the iphone 10 slipped to four to six weeks delivery in the uk similar was true in other places around the world um and on top of that we've also now seen some of the uh, um pre-order prices from mobile networks which i've calculated total costs uh of and um, I think we've seen our first ever instance of a 30-month contract Woo-hoo! for a phone. Now, I, I, there may be others in the past, and, and maybe somebody listening has had one or seen one before, but I have never, ever seen a 30-month contract for a phone in Britain before. I never saw 24-month contracts or 18-month contracts before the iPhone initially first came out. There were always 12 here. Then they went to 24. Um and now we have 30. And then this 30-month contract is from Tesco Mobile, of all places. 3,000 minutes, 5,000 texts, 4 gig of data, £52.49 a month for the iPhone 10, But, crucially here, no upfront cost. So it's 52.49 for 30 months, and you get the phone uh, for, well, I say for free, as in no upfront cost. But it'll cost you 1,574 quid over that 30 months. So, Ian... Um, I've got a few breakdowns here of of the of the contracts on offer. Um, do you want to pick one out that you think is the most interesting, either because of the the, the price or what's being offered? Um, these are all I've gone for all the cheapest, like the very cheapest monthly tariff uh, you can get on on all these networks. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I have to call out my service provider because it because I was obviously I've been thinking about this phone quite a bit. Are you on three? Um, yeah, and I'm on three. And it's a 24-month contract. Uh, unlimited voice and text, obviously, because why would anyone bother charging anything for Bose anymore? Um, and only 12 gig of data um, at £68 a month and 79 up front. So that's £68 a month and 79 up front. That's 1711 in total. And that's that's 24-month contract. Yeah, and I'm paying... What am I paying at the moment? I think I'm paying 20, 20 something pounds a month for unlimited data with thirty gigabytes of, gigabytes of tethering. So is what, that is that a SIM only plan? Yeah, that's a SIM only plan. So that's four hundred and eighty. So I would be I would be better off just buying it. Um, but of, you know, I I I actually don't know if three would sell me an iPhone X. Uh, on well, that. I, I, Apple Apple would sell you one for a thousand pounds. This is the thing. Okay, I mean, well, all right. Let, should we do, do you talk about your favourite on this list and tell me what you reckon to it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, my my favourite on on well, my my favourite on the list actually isn't on the list because EE's website was down at the time I compiled the data. Ah, right. Um, in fact, I'll I'll check if it's back up while we're while we're talking. The um, 
it was something like there's a hundred gig of data, which for EE is is absolutely enormous. Yeah, um, it's staggering. But you know what's going on there, don't you? Well, it's, they're basically yeah. they're tr- they're trying to drag you in, basically. Uh, to them rather than someone else yeah it's a promotional deal because the plan should be 25 gig a month but they've increased it to 100 gig um for this um initial cost it's it's 10 quid up front uh for the phone which is frankly for the sake of 10 quid you might as well get rid of it and just say it's free and use that as a pr you know promotional thing um unlimited minutes unlimited texts um it's 24 month contract um you get uh two years with bt sport now this isn't the cheapest uh, because it's 80 82 pounds 99 a month Good for 24 grief. months that is just outrageous but of all the deals you know that's the one i could see people going for on ee simply because yes it's an awful lot of money a month but it's a brilliant plan it means the phone is effectively zero cost up front but you're talking you know 80 quid a month i mean that is almost close enough to triple figures in my opinion it is i mean we're getting to, we're getting to american levels the you know americans have always had a very expensive monthly uh phone plans from what i've been able to tell like it's always been you know up in the high tens kind of 70 dollars 80 dollars a month some people paying over 100 dollars a month for their mobiles um and now a lot of that is uh family plans so you put everyone on the same plan so it does kind of work yeah. out I, I found another one actually that's quite interesting excuse me um sky interesting so iphone iphone x sorry iphone 10 space gray 64 gig on their 24 month swap plan uh, which is meaningless really because everyone's on that right um but they're so it's 15 pounds a month unless you're a sky customer um uh, if you're a sky customer it's five pounds a month but you only get 500 megs of data on that so you're paying <laughs> it's 52 pounds a month uh or 42 if you're a sky customer already but you're getting 500 megs of data who is it who are these people who want an iphone 10 with 500 megs of data that can't i've said the be same thing. because there are two entry-level plans on the major networks vodafone and o2 both have um their their lowest price plans start with one gigabyte of data a month uh, vodafone's is 56 pounds plus 300 quid up front for the phone one gig of data for 24 months that costs 1644 quid yeah. over the course of the contract it's an awful lot of money to pay bearing in mind how much extra you're going to have to spend on data you know yeah. it's one of the reasons why i think ees is is at it's fundamentally quite dishonest isn't it to sell a plan with such a small amount of data when you're when we, we just talked last week about just the, the the mere action of owning an iphone is going to use up several gigabytes of data a month i mean okay sure most of it's going to be happening on wi-fi you can set it to happen on wi-fi but even so, like if, if you want to really make it take advantage of the phone, like I do with, you know, my photo backup stuff, you've got to accept the fact you're going to use data. Um, they charge for a 10 gig plan. It's 67 pounds a month. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not very dis- it's not dissimilar, is it? To... It's not. I mean, O2 uh, and, and I mean, Tesco, the, Tesco was uh, among the lowest I could find, believe it or not, um, partly because of that 30 month contract. But, you know, it was £1,574 in total uh, for the for the phone over 30 months um, with four gig of data, which I would say is it's, fair, it's about as it's low as great. I would accept um, for a phone like this. It's, it's what I've got on my tablet and it's often it's sometimes not enough. So, yeah. 
and then the next the next one up uh, at least in my research entry level wise was o2 24 months unlimited voice and text again only one gig of data that's 58 pounds with a 190 pound upfront fee that costs less than 10 quid more over the the contract period than tesco but you know these are paltry data plans and and really it's in your interest to pay uh, more uh, for, for data for something like this and also um, I, well I, yeah i was gonna say also i wonder who the people are, who are buying the 64 gig one i just don't think that represents a great deal given that the i think the it's next i think is... 60 64 gig is a lot better now yeah. than it would have been three years ago simply because of the cloud storage on offer from True. various service providers i think it's got a lot better but yeah i agree it's 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 not great i just i just feel know. like if you're going to buy a high-end phone and you're going to be spending nearly a thousand pounds you might as well spend over a thousand pounds and get the one with all the capacity um, I would, I would, I would agree. Normally, we do our emails towards the end of the show, but I'm going to fold this one in here that came in from Alistair um, Struthers, who um, is a, a frequent listener and and contributor. Um, he said, because we talked, I think last week or the week before, about buying a handset outright, you know, on a, uh, you know, either in cash yourself or by getting a, a credit card and putting it on a credit card. Now, we did have um, another um, emailer, and um, it was actually somebody. One of our listeners um, tweeted at us uh, and also emailed at us about the fact that there are 0% um, credit cards out there that, you know, we calculated the savings you could get by buying a f- unlocked SIM-free phone on a credit card over the course of, say, two years on a credit card. Oh, it was from it was from Richard Hanny here, um, who who wrote an email. This is his email. He said there are loads of zero percent credit cards, uh, and they mostly all last over two years. Meaning, by the end of it, um, providing you pay the minimum monthly amount, you only pay what you um, put on it. He also pointed out that a lot of the stuff we talked about regarding tethering, if remembered, we talked about um, how it's different tethering an iPad to an iPhone than say an Android to another Android. Um, He said a lot of that doesn't really apply and that in the android world your data is your data you can do whatever you want with it and i, I thought we'd sort of mentioned that but um well, but yes I, certainly yes, that's true extent, but it is also possible i mean i i had run into this problem before where it is possible for an android phone to report that you're tethering uh and for, and for your service provider to um then bill you appropriately but it's also i from what i experience when i was using android more regularly um and before i had tethering enabled on my account i um there were apps that would allow you to get around that a little bit more easily Uh. than on iphone um yeah i mean it it was basically a deal done i think with uh you know heart with android people and ios people to uh report when you were trying to tether Um, i see uh, and and a lot of isps probably don't support it or you know um, networks probably don't support it well, thanks for to Rich for for email, emailing us uh, with that. He also said he finds himself agreeing with you more than uh, he thought he would when he first started listening. So that's good, mate. You're a grower, not a shower, it seems. That's good <laughs> news. That's good news for Morris's everywhere. Uh, thank you, Rich. Um, but the other email we had uh, this week that's relevant to the the talk about the iPhone X uh, is from Alistair Struthers, who... Um, he said, I just thought I'd send in my two cents on the handset outright versus through a contract discussion. I've actually just been through that very calculation, having finally upgraded from my iPhone 5S to the 8. Uh, I've spent the last two years on a SIM-only deal with three. So very similar to you, Ian. Yeah. Um, I was paying £14 a month. Uh, for that, gave unlimited texts, calls, and data. Um, but signal in my neck of the woods is a bit lousy. 
I'd been holding off upgrading initially, initially to get off the S upgrade rotation, and then the year later when I heard rumblings of an amazing 10th anniversary edition iPhone that might be in the pipeline. When the iPhone X was announced, and it couldn't have been more underwhelming uh, and a staggering amount of money, so I opted for the iPhone 8. Now, this is where we get to the tariff stuff, which is why it's related to our previous uh, topic. Once that decision was made, I, brackets, very geekily, made a spreadsheet Mm -hmm. that compared keeping my current tariff, that's on three, and buying the handset outright with moving to a new contract and getting the phone bundled in. The new contracts I looked at were four gigabyte data plans from EE302 and Vodafone. I compared prices both direct from the operators and through Carphone Warehouse. I also factored in trade-in value of my current 5S and any cashback deals that might be around on places like Quidco that would bring the whole cost down over the two years. Amazingly, after all that excelling, I found that jumping ship to Vodafone, who had better coverage here too, via Carphone Warehouse, was the cheapest option by about £250, even over just keeping my current SIM-only deal and buying the handset. I ended up paying £230 up front and £36 a month for the contract. Um, so, he and he seems happy. Um, he, he's fine with 4 gig of data. He says he doesn't use that much anyway. So, so thank you very much, Alistair, and also thanks for the kind words about my, my wedding. Um, yeah. So there we go. I mean, that that shows you can get actually very good savings if you really shop around versus our sort of simple way of shove it on a zero interest yeah. credit card and and forget about it. There will always be good deals if you're prepared to change provider because they, obviously they, it's in their interest to get new customers. It's always better to have a customer than to let a rival have a customer. I think we've exhausted uh, iPhone 10 enough, particularly for one that was <laughs> uh, preempted as being uh, a short story. Um, but let us know any thoughts you have um, on either the iPhone 10, whether you're pre-ordering one, your view on tariffs, but more broadly about phone tariffs in general and the prices that that some of these phones are now commanding because they really have gone to levels that we've just never, ever seen before. I say in this country, I think even globally speaking, to a large extent, the iPhone X in particular is commanding gigantic monthly sums that we've not we've not seen before so um, let us know any thoughts you have on that podcast at natelangson.com or of course tweet us at text message pods uh, where one of our longtime listeners luke actually emailed us uh t- tweeted us a photo of his cat um because uh, i included on the um on the patreon version of last week's show uh a quite lengthy sound clip of my cat purring uh which was promised uh in a bit of conversation Ian and I had and I didn't want to it was great I didn't want to leave that promise hanging so if you're a Patreon listener listen to last week's show you get several seconds of my cat's enormously loud purr um, if you're not a patron and would like to listen to my cat purring for cash um, then um, <laughs> that's one of the many perks of being a patron at patreon.com slash UK tech um, this, on this week's show uh, in the extended version we also had a very long and very interesting discussion about um, Amazon releasing a, a new product to let their drivers let themselves into your house to deliver products um, very wide range discussion that one and that's on the uh, on the extended version of the show but thank you to everyone no matter how you're able or willing to support us everything helps and we're incredibly grateful 
Uh, now, one thing I wanted to address uh, was an email we had from patron Mike Kepper, uh, who said the Patreon version of episode 107, the uh, paperless tickets episode, uh, was broken for him. Uh, it stopped playing halfway through, apparently, and he had similar issues on other podcast apps. Now, we've not heard of anyone else having this issue, and it seemed to work fine for me when I tested it, but uh, I'm sorry about that, Mike. If anyone else has had an issue with that episode too, then do let me know so I can email you a link to a new version. <laughs> Did you do that? Did you do that for Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Send him. Of course, I did. Oh, cool, cool. Great customer service here. I mean, not by me, obviously, but yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this week, everyone. We will see you in another week. Toodles. Bye. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.